Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Friday Catch-Up from Inside Politics, the politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy, sitting in for our regular host, Hugh Linehan. Friday's when we look back at all the political stories of the week. But there's only one story that's dominating the news today. The riots which followed a knife attack on children and their carer in Dublin's north inner city yesterday. For hours last night, anarchy ruled the streets of central Dublin, as mobs, who had initially gathered at the scene of the stabbing in Parnell Square, proceeded to attack Gardaí, threaten members of the public, burn vehicles, including Garda cars, buses and a Lewis tram, and loot shops. Order was only restored to the city centre in the early hours of today. Frankly, none of us have ever seen anything like it in Dublin before. A large number of questions present themselves today. Who are the people responsible for this? How many are far-right activists? And how many are just criminal opportunists? Could it happen again? How did the Gardaí let it happen in the first place? Where does political responsibility lie? And what will the incident do to our politics? I'm joined by our political correspondents, Cormac McQuinn and Harry McGee, and also by crime correspondent Conor Gallagher, who has researched and written extensively about Ireland's far right. And Conor, I'll turn to you first. Is this a sort of spectacular for the far right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, they see it as a win today. They see it as Irish people, quote unquote, rising up against what they see as the problem of mass immigration and, you know, politicians who are you know, in on it and, 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 and any other kind of various conspiracy theories they have about things. They don't care about the the children who were affected or who were injured on, on Parnell Square East. They see it as a recruiting tool. They are worried, though, about the Garda response and you can see it in their social media accounts today. I mean, you monitor their social media, their telegram channels and so forth quite closely. What what sort of things are they saying today in, in, in celebration, if you like, what happened, but also where do they see things going now? Yeah, there's a there's a good deal of celebration. There's a good deal of trying to explain away the, the violence or justify the violence. Um, as always happens with these things, there's also lots of them saying it was, you know, uh, left-wing people or even the Guardi who were instigating the violence, you know, kind of a false flag operation. Um, and then justifying it in the sense that, oh, well, what do you expect if you let in so many foreign people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, but there's also a degree of worry there. You see some of the key figures who were uh, trying to get people out yesterday evening, 
are deleting tweets, um, deleting these tweets of calls to action. They are worried that the Gardaí are going to be looking for people under incitement legislation. Which they presumably will be. They will be, I understand, and, and they're doing that today, and, and they've been harvesting social media accounts, uh, hence the, the, the frantic deleting in some cases. Incitement is a very, very hard thing to prove, um, because you have to prove that they knew this was going to happen and that they played some role in kind of maybe orchestrating it. And... The fact is that the, the kind of main far right figures weren't involved in the rioting um, or the, the violence or or the um, burning of cars or assaults on Gardaí last night. That was the contingent who came in later, some of which might have anti, anti-immigration beliefs, some of which were just there for the kind of opportunity to engage in kind of tuggery. Um, so there's a few different elements, you know. What we saw last night wasn't the far right protest. It was a... Uh, it was a Violence that was, you could say, the far right lit the lit the lit the match on, but it was the main people who were involved in the violence were not political in any way, and a lot of them probably didn't even know what had happened earlier in the day. So, is the sequence of events then, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that the incident takes place on Parnell Square? Uh, word goes around, some far right people turn up, and they're at the cordon there. And that gets progressively rowdier, degenerates in some cases into kind of minor scuffles. And then kind of as it's getting dark, word spreads that it's kicking off in the city centre and all sorts of people then come in. Is that basically, yeah, it's like a bat signal went up. Um, there were calls for people to meet at the spire at 7pm. Calls- yeah, that, that suggests some degree of organisation, right? Absolutely. So there was calls for people to meet uh, at Spire at 7pm, but people were already at the cordon by that stage, um, pushing up towards the crime scene, disrupting the crime scene, making the Gardaí investigating this stabbing attack did their job much harder. Um, so uh, it was already going on. What you had at 7pm was a lot more people coming in, and then after that, even more people coming in. And that wasn't even... them. Responded this call to me at Spire at 7 pm. That was people seeing on TikTok mm-hmm. the disorder that was going into town, uh, the looting, and thinking, I want a little bit of that. I'll get a new pair of runners. Exactly. And and you also saw, like, they responded very, very quickly, these, this kind of uh, far right ecosystem. Uh, very shortly after the stabbing, they were saying um, it was done by a foreign man and they were claiming incorrectly that. Um, one or more child was was dead. So mm-hmm. they they were um, trying to, st- uh, and I doubt they even knew if it was a foreign national at this stage at all. Like, um, but they were stirring the pot. Then um, vast amounts of false information was flowing around, uh, which was used to kind of uh, excite the the crowd, um, and that played a major role in what came later. Um, Cormac, the the political fallout from this is only really beginning to take shape. But it seems to me, I mean, there would obviously be kind of short-term political fallout for it. See, Taoiseach ministers out today. There's a very uh, robust security response to it. I just came through the city centre. I came past Leinster House. There's flocks of guards uh, uh, around the place. But it, it, it feels to me at this stage like an important political moment in the long term as well. That's something 
this will change something about our politics. Do you get that sense at all? Yeah, I mean, there have already been many, many calls for a tougher crackdown on the far right. But it also, it feeds into the sense that Dublin isn't a safe city that we've had for the last couple of years since Mm -hmm. the pandemic, uh, where there were incidents of of, uh, some mini riots on the streets. But then more recently, we've had some high profile assaults and, and it's... It's a, it's a problem for the government. It's a problem in particular for the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, because it's only a few months since we had the, the assault of a, a US tourist in the in the, the north inner city. And, and, you know, resources were promised at that time, millions for guard overtime, you know, insistences that the city streets are safe and then we have we have this last night so you know we're we're already starting to get some political reaction to what has happened uh, i suppose the social democrats have have been the strongest so far uh, gary gannon at dublin central td has has suggested that uh, minister McEntee and the garda commissioner drew harris's positions are untenable uh, he wants uh, helen McEntee to come into the doll next week to explain why this happened to she'll explain, have to do that anyway to explain she? why her position is tenable um, but he he is accused the political side and also the, the policing side of grotesque failures in, in not in not confronting the, the far right more before this has happened than, than has been the case because there was a far right demonstration outside Leinster House Harry mm-hmm. the day the doll came back which I think caught the Gardaí and the doll authorities the Leinster House authorities very much by surprise people were almost kind of blockaded in to Leinster House TDs couldn't get out of the the back entrance to Leinster House couldn't drive out because the gates were blocked by protesters and so that there have been a few warnings about this. There have been and um, the Garda approach to it has been low-key uh, so far, but a, a little bit uh, like uh, a, a doctor responded to me during the COVID crisis. He, he said, it's like we're, we're building the plane as we're flying it. I think the Gordy have been perhaps a little bit slow in adapting to the changing circumstances and the way this kind of movement, if we can call it that, has evolved over the past year. So I was at a similar protest in Sandwich Street earlier on this year, which the Garthi controlled mm-hmm. extremely well, and they uh, avoided violence. I think you might have been in one in, in Finglas at some stage, uh, Connor. Well, well, certainly some of our colleagues have been, which were controlled well. But I think the, as you said, Pat, the one in Leinster House, perhaps uh, gave a, an indication or a weather vane of, of the changing winds and how things are changing. And last night was just something, you know, I mean, it was extraordinary last night. It started off, I think I think if you look at it, there, there is, you, you went through the sequencing earlier on, but I think it's important to, to repeat them, that at the start, uh, this kind of rumour went out that it was a, a person who was a non-national. And I think they named the nationality. And very quickly, those who are, who describe themselves as citizen journalists, on the on the on the right wing channels, uh, were organising protests in Dublin uh, city centre. As Connor said, we saw the first of them at about five. At the same time, amongst those not not associated with that, there was some visceral reaction to the fact that this was a person who wasn't born in, in Ireland. And I saw one or two social media accounts of very angry exchanges uh, between locals from the North Inner City and a Scottish man in particular, in which they kind of angrily declaimed, you know, all the foreigners coming in, etc., and kind of repeated a lot of the tropes uh, that those uh, people want them uh, to repeat. So then you had the protest, you had the people uh, who were like agent provocateurs at the at the cordon line who were provoking it. And then suddenly uh, there was 
something that happened after that, that, that as you said, that, that uh, the message went out that all hell was breaking loose in town and you got maybe, at the Garda estimate, 500 people and all, but I'd say about 350 of them were teenagers, youths, who were petty criminals, bike thieves, uh, mm. motorbike thieves, uh, hooligans and delinquents who came and who were just looking uh, for trouble. But all of this feeds right into the agenda of those who are provoking all this because they, they, the, the more they maximise the coverage, uh, the more uh, they will get eyeballs and the more attention they will seek. And if you look at the social media, you see Conor McGregor coming out with the most uh, disgraceful uh, responses to what happened yesterday and look at the reach that that guy has millions and millions of, of followers throughout the world uh, to listen to what I would frankly call really uneducated and ignorant views uh, emanating from him in relation uh, to that so just in terms of the reaction I, th- I think the guards will have to ask themselves very deep questions about how they responded to this there was one video I saw of a, a lone guard isolated on O'Connell Bridge being beset by uh, a mob and bravely uh, fending them off. And he, this guy was in danger at the time. All mm. these hooded guys coming around him. He had a colleague who came in on a bicycle so who helped him. Yeah. They both had to run over, reach cover, and then they threw the bicycle into the Liffey. We saw another incident which happened a bit further up the street where you had Gordy would protect. They had the shields and the battens, but there was a very small group of them and they were surrounded by a huge mob and they were kind of cornered for a while. And that situation looked like it could be potentially explosive. So... It was an exceptional evening, and things happened that nobody anticipated. But but but, but, but there is a, there is a the, question it is that the guards' be, job to anticipate and the politician and the political this, system as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fisher this morning was talking about you know strengthening the incitement to hatred laws, about uh, using stronger CCTV uh, laws to, to so that the guards can garner more evidence. But that's all happening after the event, and I think they should should have been well aware that these things were coming down the line. They haven't been happening in, in a vacuum here. They've been happening all over Europe for the past 20 years. So they should be more aware of what's coming down the track. Also, I think it's already against the law to, you know, firebomb a bus and set a guard car alight or uh, even steal, you know, runners from shops. That's already against the law. But uh, I want to ask you, Connor, about... In the lads have, uh, I've talked about, and there's very clearly a political appetite for a crackdown on, on the far right now. Uh, but is that in a way what the far right want? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Garda strategy in policing them thus far appears to have been to deny them the confrontations that they seem to be trying to provoke. That's but I wonder, has that strategy now kind of run out of road a little bit? We asked the uh, commissioner this morning about this, you know, this softly, softly approach that the guards have have, as you say, denying them uh, a martyr figure or denying them, you know, a hero who's been, you know, a freedom warrior who's been uh, locked up for protecting Irish women and children as they, they claim to do. Yeah, that's been the Garda approach so far. We questioned through Harris about that this morning and he did seem to imply the tactics might have to change that they will have to look at policing responses to these things. What's been happening so far is, aside from a few arrests on public order offences, it's been a really hands-off approach. Some of these guys will get a visit from, say, the special detective unit, and they'll kind of be told, we're watching you, you want to mind yourself. And then they will go on their Telegram or their uh, whatever channel 
and boast about it and say, lads, the guards came and tried to shut me down, but I'm not going to be shut down. I'm here to tell you the truth. Mm. And then often try to raise money off the back of it. Um, you know, donate donate to my GoFundMe or whatever to, to keep hearing the truth about the immigrants. Um, so, you know, there is logic to the guards denying them that platform. But where is the line? But then, then again, the question also arises, what do you prosecute them under? Because the incitement to hatred law is very weak and, you know, has only been used a handful of times. The new hate speech law is seen by many as problematic, um, could have constitutional issues, um, and it could also Im Im impede the right to free speech in, in, in some cases. So there's not really many easy answers, but something will have to be done. And what is that? I mean, is that a, because there's, there's, a, there's a real appetite, it seems to me, in political circles for a visibly more muscular approach from the Gardaí, you know, politicians talking about it. And, and actually, you know, politicians have been talking about this, particularly in Fine Gael, actually, have been talking about this long before yesterday. I actually had a conversation yesterday with the Fine Gael TD before news of any of this broke when he was talking about a public meeting that he had done and every single question, bar one, was about crime, social, uh, antisocial behaviour, the need for more, as they perceived it, the need for more uh, guardie on the, uh, on the streets. So I just wonder what is the guards' sense of this? Because... I think clearly from the political side, I don't know what you guys think, but clearly from the political side, I think there's going to be a push for a much stronger guard response. Yeah, a much stronger guard response. And there are organisers of this who are, you know, they're quite smart that we don't hear about them that much. They do their organising in private, not on Twitter or in public telegram groups. So in order to prosecute them and to build cases against them, you need to invest significant resources, significant undercover operations, the kind that um, detectives... But of course, it's not clear that they're, what they're doing is a crime either, I guess, until you in, in investigate them. It might, it's not a crime to hold appalling views about immigrants, but it is a crime to incite hatred against them. 100%, but they can continue to arrest, kind of, uh, you know, as they did today, 34 people and, and get them on public order and theft charges. Mm -hmm. But to actually, if they want to address the problem... They need to get the ringleaders, and we're not talking about arresting them for holding repugnant views on, on immigrants or or LGBT matters or whatever. Like these are people who instigate violence, who know exactly what they're doing, but mm. do it in private and do it in a smart way. So that requires the use of surveillance, significant resources, stuff that doesn't happen quickly, um, and it doesn't happen publicly. Um, but the guards haven't been doing that to date. You know, they've been doing it with subversives, you know, for many years. Perhaps it's now time them to turn those resources to to this this um, uh, group. Cormac, what are the implications for Helen McEntee here? Because you spoke to a couple of Fianna Fáil TDs who were quite critical of her. Sure. I mean, there has been a cohort of Fianna Fáil politicians who have been very concerned about crime in Dublin over over the last few months. They, they include people like Senator Mac Malcolm Byrne, um, Jim McCallaghan, Dublin Bay South uh, TD, uh, Mary Fitzpatrick, the Senator in Dublin Central. And I mean, they're, they're all calling today for, for tougher policing responses. Malcolm Byrne is, is going as far as to say that the, the softly, softly approach taken by the Minister and the Garda Commissioner needs to end. And um, Jim McCallaghan is saying things like, you know, the guards need to be given the equipment they need to take on these sorts of situations like the, like the riots we've seen in the, the last uh, couple of weeks. And I, I mean, it is 
It is an issue of concern in Fine Gael as well. I was, I was at a fairly otherwise lacklustre Fine Gael special conference last weekend, mm-hmm. but one of the few interesting things that came out of it was one, a kind of a debate on, on law and order uh, where members of the, you know, members from the floor were, some of them quite exercised about things like sentencing by judges and, and um, you know, the perceived threat to women in particular in Ireland in the, in the wake of the, the murder case of uh, Ashley Murphy, who, who was killed there uh, earlier this year in Tullamore. Um, and it, the, the issue was raised at one of the press conferences uh, that the judge who, who did the sentencing in that case last week was talking about the need for, you know, that the perpetrator will get the mandatory life sentence, but but he he suggested that there maybe should be minimum sentences so that a judge could dictate whether somebody would be, uh, you know, would have to stay in prison for at least twenty years before the possibility of parole. The sort of sort of mm-hmm. sentencing that's in existence in in Britain actually, and um, you know, Helen McEntee is, is is said to be looking at this possibility. Leo Varadkar is talking about how if if something like that was brought in, we'd have to have more prison spaces, and there's, there's talk of six hundred more prison spaces. So there is, I think, a consciousness. Of perception that the state and and policing and and the government, the current government, is maybe not as as tough on crime as as they would like to be, and certainly Fine Gael, as the traditionally law and order party, would would like to be seen to be, and that's why you're getting you know these kind of initiatives like longer sentencing, you know, like more prison space, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I wonder if it's a bit too little, too late at this point. Yeah, because I, I think um, I'd agree with everything Cormac said there. But I mean, Helen McEntee wouldn't be in the mould of the traditional. Finnegal Minister for Justice, I think she's made her name more in terms of law reform rather than the kind of the traditional kind of bread and butter uh, issues that you'd associate. You hear this from Fine Gael backbenchers. What we want is, you know, not so much, you know, laws on, you know, gender. We we want our new laws on gender. We want, you know, more guards on the streets sort of thing. Yeah, but but even if they do expect new laws on gender, they want to see more guards on the street and they want a Fine Gael minister to be tough on law and order because it's the image that's associated with the party and has been. Uh, throughout its history. And, um, you know, she did respond quite strongly in the success, success series of interviews uh, she did last night. But at the same time, she was on the back foot because she I, was explaining I, I something. She, we were exchanging on our own yeah. WhatsApp group last night. Um, yeah, I thought she was poor enough last night. I have to say, I thought she just about managed to keep mm. repeating her... Uh, her talking points, you no, know, she did inside her. the department. I was talking to... You know, somebody this morning who has experience with this this type of thing in in uh, in government. He said, you know, why wasn't she, you know, down, you know, near the action, doing her doorstep down there rather than yeah. She the, the, the one question she was flummoxed on because she did say that Dublin was a safe city to <sighs> uh, to walk the streets on, and that that kind of question threw her a little bit. Even though I'm sure she was prepared for it, but usually when a Fine Gael, uh, a Minister for Justice is faced with such a, a such situation where the security of the state is being threatened and law and order is being threatened. They 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 pull the shutters down and they they put they they bang the hammer down hard. And you didn't get that sense from her uh, last night. And I think that there will be an expectation on her, certainly from within the Fine Gael ranks, is that she's going to have to toughen up in relation to a response to crime, especially in Dublin and to the incipient threat. Uh, that is posed by this uh, emerging uh, a movement uh, of right-wing and anti-immigrant people. Connor, do you think we'll see the far right now try to capitalise on the successes they would see it of their endeavours last night? Do you think you'll see kind of more of this now? Or is, is, is further confrontation with the guards inevitable? 
Yeah, I, I, I do, unfortunately. I think this is maybe going to become the new normal, um, although hopefully not as bad as it was last night. They're going to capitalise on last night, but they're also going to capitalise on the, um, the horrific stabbing attack um, and every stage of uh, that investigation. That man is going to be arrested and charged, we presume, uh, in the coming days once he receives medical treatment. Even charging him is going to be a major public order event incident requiring huge amounts of people so you're going to hit any time there's a crime or a serious offence and it happens to be a, a foreign national we, we, we're already seeing it you know these people will capitalise on it incredibly quickly and maybe that will resonate with some people I mean you know you heard the news of three kids being stabbed yesterday it brings especially if you have kids but even if you don't it brings across such raw emotion and, and terror Um and these people are really good at capitalising on that. Um, so I um, I think we are going to see a lot more of this, unfortunately. But can I just say on the, on the, on the Helen McEntee thing, she's kind of, she's in a really serious bind because even if she wants to come out hard and, and, and uh, bring in higher loads more Gardaí, say get rid of Drew Harris, uh, no one wants to join the cards. People are leaving in their droves. And they can't, they, if she got rid of Drew Harris, they wouldn't be able to fill the role from within the Guardi because of this uh, weird pension thing. Mm-hmm. They can't fill the deputy commissioner role, arguably the, the second most important security role in the state because of this thing. They're going to have to go outside the state for that. Uh, no assistant commissioner wants to go for that role or chief superintendent. And loads of them are planning to quit in the next uh, eight months if this isn't resolved. So even without all of this, she is facing a massive policing crisis. Okay, well, thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Um, We'll be back in a few minutes. Don't go away. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. And you're welcome back. Well, there was lots of other things happened this week that yesterday we had all sorts of plans to talk about. There was further, very sharp exchanges uh, in the doll about about Gaza, about neutrality. There's news of two referendums that will be held next uh, March was uh, was broken this week. But we only really have time to talk about one more thing. And Cormac, you have a piece in tomorrow's paper about the opening of uh, new pay talks between the government and public sector, the representatives of public sector workers. That's going to be quite a big thing. So just tell us briefly about it. Yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, public sector pay talks described by industrial relations correspondents as the, the World Cup of, of what they do. Um, I'm not sure this will, this will be Pascal Donoghue on one side uh, and the the unions, public sector unions on the other. I'm not sure who will be Argentina, who will exactly be France. It's not exactly Messi versus Ronaldo. Well, this is it. And, and will it, will it, will there be a, a, a hat-trick by one of them or will it be a scoreless draw all around when, it, when they come to it? All right, but, all right, enough. But, uh, but um, 
it's happening on Monday. It's starting on Monday, t- two o'clock in the Workplace Relations Commission. One of the questions, I suppose, is, is why have they left it so long um, before, you know, coming up to the very end of the current pay deal, building momentum is due to expire at the end of the year. There's only about five weeks left to go. Will they or won't they get a deal by the end of the year? There are issues that arise, like maybe have the unions left it too late, given that inflation is falling? You know, should they have been pushing harder for, for talks to happen earlier? On the, on the flip side, you've got the government with a, an election looming, so are they vulnerable to, to demands that may be made by, by unions representing 385,000 workers, but also voters? Uh, so mm-hmm. these, these are the kind of things we, we explore in, in the piece tomorrow. Good. I mean, there was a two-year deal agreed at the uh, in the autumn of last year, right? Uh, which was part of which was backdated to February of 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 last year. So it covered the two two years, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. That was about eight uh, percent. So, any idea what sort well, of numbers we're I mean, talking about this the, time? The unions the, will look for inflation plus, well, this right? Is it. I mean, look, both sides. At this point, on the eve of talks, are keeping things very close to their chest. But, it, broadly but no need speaking, for you to do so. Broadly <laughs> speaking, the unions will seek to at least match inflation, or if yeah. not exceed it. Uh, inflation stood at about five percent in in October. Um, you know, it's it's still pretty high, and and you know, people would argue that okay, inflation might be falling, but prices are still high. So you know, they, their their members are 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 suffering cost of living pressures like everybody else. So that is that is leverage. In fairness, it is leverage. Uh, for for the union side in the mm-hmm. talks, and and we can expect that to be a, a key feature when the when the, the the government offer does does arise, and and probably the inevitable union rejection of that first offer. Um, so what do we think? How many breakdowns before we get a deal? Two, three? It's, it's hard to know. It's it, it, there was one breakdown last year uh, yeah. before before there was a deal. Uh, time is tight this year, so you know they, they don't have much time for for a they're breakdown. Not sure uh, and, they're not going to do it people, by Christmas. Are people they? might want their Christmas dinner in peace. You know, uh, it's it's one of these one of these things. Of course, the whole process won't be finished, even if there is a deal done in the next three or four weeks, because then whatever proposals emerge will have to go to a ballot of the the union members, which w- just won't happen till early next year. So it will it will extend into next year. But but I mean, all sides are saying it's not going to be easy, but but still saying a deal is possible. Uh, uh, you know, but yeah, the, the, will there be will there be banging on the table? Will there be people yes. storming out of the workplace yes. relations commissions? The, yeah, in all likelihood, will there be yes. reporters down at the workplace relations commission standing outside for hours on end, freezing their tails off? Unfortunately, yes, yes. I had that experience <laughs> last yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, very good. Okay, well, just time for our weekly feature of your piece of the week from the Irish Times, Harry. And um, my piece was written by uh, a person that vacated that chair only five minutes ago by Conor Gallagher. It was a piece. Oh, on, we should get him back in to congratulate him <laughs> on on uh, the uh, which is a big, significant announcement and would have dominated uh, most of the news this week. Were it not for what happened yesterday, uh, the change uh, that is being proposed to the triple lock, mm-hmm. the famous triple lock uh, that uh, d- that governs how. Irish troops are deployed overseas. So, For the tiny minority of our listeners who don't know what the triple lock is, just a brief précis. Uh, yeah, well, if it you kind please. of came in after the Nice Treaty when the second to, to allow the second Nice Treaty to be passed. So essentially, if uh, an Irish uh, peace enforcement or peacekeeping mission is to be deployed overseas, uh, it needs three uh, different approvals: one from the Security Council of the United Nations, uh, one from the Executive, which is the government, and the third from the Dáil. So. Uh, all three need to be satisfied. Before. And the argument against it is, is because that it Security gives... Council has been in yeah. deadlock for over a decade. The last time a an international 
mission was deployed uh, from the Security Council was 2014. And Russia or China or the US tend to veto everything that's in any way divisive or controversial. For example, uh, when Russia um, invaded Ukraine last year, the Russians, of course, uh, vetoed any uh, uh, assistance in relation to uh, peacekeeping or peace enforcement even. And then this year, uh, when Israel uh, invaded Gaza, uh, the Americans have exercised uh, their veto uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So the argument that was made from government is that we need an alternative system. We still have the Doyle. We still have the uh, government. But perhaps the UN General Assembly, if not the Security Council, or a regional assembly uh, which uh, adheres to Chapter 8 of the Charter that set up the UN. And such uh, an organisation might be the EU or the African Union or some other uh, equivalent uh, uh, um, association or organisation that, that subscribes. Central Council of the GEA. Yeah. So, of course, that created um, political controversy because the opposition, uh, most if not all of the opposition, claimed that it was another uh, death knell or another uh, blow. Another death you. knell. How many death knells have been sanded for our neutrality? Many over the years. Over the years thousands. But, right. um, okay, so another row over neutrality. Excellent. Cormac, your piece? Um, it's a piece by uh, Sarah Burns, our, our colleague who, who covers the Oireachtas proceedings for us. She, she had, you know, there was a very headline-catching uh, claim in the doll that that uh, Hot Tub uh, had been bought for the director of Dublin Zoo during, uh, you know, using funds that had been raised for the zoo during the pandemic to keep it to keep it going. Um, you know, there were other claims made by, by Paul Murphy of People Be Proud Profit was that there let, were... Let very clear these claims well, we were I'm getting, reporting I'm getting these to this yes um there, there, there were claims that there were animal welfare issues and, and other problems at the zoo and uh, I suppose the story was a reminder that not everything said in the doll uh, should be you know, taken as gospel because Dublin Zoo were were very very quick in in categorically denying all of the claims that were made uh, as unfounded. They pointed out that the the hot tub was indeed bought uh, privately by the you know by the director, not using funds raised for the zoo. And um, you know that it's as I say people make a lot of claims in a doll. They have to be checked under legal privilege. We should add. Um, uh, my piece of the week, I was going to pick a Fintan O'Toole piece uh, so I could uh, so I could take the opportunity to do what I very rarely do, of course, which is to disagree with them. And this is his piece that he turned around overnight about uh, the riots in which he talked about, you know, uh, this is not us. He was referring to the scenes from the riot. He says, and, and I'm writing a piece tomorrow that I'm very much afraid that this is us. These guys are Irish. This is part of our politics now and this is part of what we much must uh, deal with. But actually, I chose not to pick that piece uh, in the end. I chose to pick another Fintan piece, which was, his, which was his brilliant <laughs> uh, his brilliant piece about uh, Ben Dunn and uh, the two Irish hotels, one in Florida, one in New York, that should have, uh, one in which the last encounter between Bishop Eamon Casey and um, his one-time... Uh, Annie Murphy. Lover yeah. Annie Murphy, yeah. which she secretly arranged to have videoed. And the other, of course, was the uh, the hotel in Florida where Ben Dunn, the late Ben Dunn, had his... Um, had uh, had his his misfortunes in uh, in 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 the early nineties, and Fintan was making the point that uh, both these uh, hotels should have little blue plaques outside them saying "Conservative Ireland died here." Anyway, I thought it was uh, I thought it was very well done. That is all we have time for today. We'll be back next week. Our thanks to JJ Vernon on sound, to producer Declan Collin, to Harry and Cormac, to the departed Connor Gallagher. Uh, thank you very much. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>